This episode of the Ball Blab podcast, I interviewed Jimmy Kritzis and talked to him about Boston sports. Alrighty, I am here with Jimmy Kritzis. He is the host of the Fire Spilt podcast. So, Jimmy, welcome. Jason, my man, thank you for having me. I am so hyped to be on here. We got we got two podcast hosts coming together. First collaboration, um, at least for the first two of us. Looking forward to many more. And man. I'm happy to sit down for this one. This is, this is going to be good. Yeah, first of many. So this is going to be a little bit different from our usual podcast at Ball Blab Podcast. We usually talk baseball, but me and Jimmy have like really good sports conversations, Boston sports primarily. So Absolutely. we're going to shift all our focus on that. And let's get started, I guess. So what's, what sport do you want to do first? Since I, you're the guest, I'll let you All choose. right. Okay. Um, let's keep things pertain to the viewers. We'll start with the start with the Sox. Ooh, okay. So Sox four games above five hundred. They won yesterday by the score of six to one. Jimmy, what are you liking out of these Red Sox? I know you haven't been watching these uh, mm. any games because of hockey and <laughs> basketball, which I don't blame you at all. It's the best season for that. I mean, I watch way too much um, hockey and basketball this time. Um, I've been watching even more and more, but beyond the point um what what do you like from the red sox so far absolutely um right now i am loving the fact that no matter what year this is for the Sox, whether it's we just lost mookie bats we have a brand new team um coming off big salary cuts right no matter how awful we start and this seems to be a pattern for the Sox, we somehow are able to turn it around as soon as the summer gets going and the trajectory just ends up looking good we have almost, I want to say, positionless baseball, where at the same time, we have multiple players who we can swap in and out on a daily basis um, from game to game in the middle of series. Um, We just got the word from, I want to say it's Boston Post, or let me actually look right here, Boston Globe, um, that Alex Cora is calling up Jaron Duran to replace Arroyo Mm. tonight. And I'll get to that in a moment, but that that is 100% a fantastic call. Mm-hmm. But we have Duran, an outfielder, playing um, for Arroyo at third base. And honestly, and correct me if I'm wrong on that positioning, but I uh, know. Yeah, he's a he's a second baseman, but Duran, okay. Arroyo has been playing outfield because of Kike. But yeah, mm-hmm. I heard Arroyo had to leave yesterday's game due to illness. But I like the I, I agree with you. I like that call. He's been a solid fielder. He's been a really solid hitter, too. But that's half the reason why he got sent down last year. He wasn't hitting. He was outmatched. He tried a, a, a lot of different things, but they haven't been working, but I like it. I like it too. I think it's a, I think it's a great call. I mean, if you remember back about pretty much a year ago to this day, maybe a little less about early July, we call in Duran when we need him. And literally the first or second night he's playing with the team, he hits an inside the park home run on an amazing play. This guy probably has 99 speed in the show, if we're being honest. I, I, I was absolutely shocked. I'm watching. I'm like, who is this kid? Why are we not starting him more? I'm pretty sure he has five or six home runs right now. Um, last season, Worc- yeah, he did. Okay, yeah. in last season in Worcester. And, um, yeah, I think it's absolutely the great call. And especially mm-hmm. when you have a team like the Sox where you're rotating first base, 
You have Balbi Dalbeck some nights. You have Frenchy Cordero playing them some nights. When you have players that can play positionless and can rotate around the field based on need, it makes everything easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I'm getting a sense you're in favor of like the utility man, the utility man role. You can, yes. If you have a lot of them, you're in really good hands. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, another point is like the bullpen has been terrible. Um, mm-hmm. We've had so many... I, I I know I keep saying this, but we have these really bad losses where we're up five to two against Toronto, uh, five, uh, six, five against Seattle. And then we blow it six to nothing and eight to two against Baltimore. How do you blow that lead? I That's feel a, like this is a huge concern. Are you with me? I am. I'm 100% with you. I did not see that Mariners game, but I was at a grad party last weekend and we had Nesson on the TV. I'm watching Sox Clubhouse and they cut it for a second. Watching the replays on like a kind of kind of commercial break, but it's not really commercial break because it's still Nesson. And they're showing the game and we just can't close. And I'm stunned. Usually in recent years, the Sox have been known. And yes, we play games of or seasons of over 100 games, 180 games. And 162. 162. I'm getting my seasons confused. (laughs) Apologies. 162 games, right? And usually when you think of the Red Sox, you think of closing games, this is not a commonality. This is something that we're known to do. And, you know, aside from this uh, utility man, positionless baseball that I'm talking about, I'm just a little shocked that we can't close. Despite the recent wins, like, the recent turnaround we're now four above 500 and this is just it's good but if we can really capitalize on that i think we're in good hands especially in a stack division mm-hmm. i mean yeah I mean, the yankees are a huge surprise the rays and the blue jays are kind of scuffling but they can get hot at times uh my friend Braden always says the closer role is the most difficult uh role to fill or just the bullpen in general it's the hardest role to fill in baseball, especially if you're the Red Sox, who from the start have not had a good bullpen. There have been a few solid arms here and there, but none that really shout as elite to me. Um, right. I mean, I, I feel like Tanner Houck, I heard he's going to, he might be the closer, which I like, but I'd rather him in the starting rotation because of Whitlock, but him and Evaldi are hurt. That's a different story, which I, mm. which I'm there. Those two injuries are very big. They're arguably, other than Pavetta, your two best arms in the rotation. But yeah, I, I think Whitlock should go back to the bullpen. Uh, that's a no-brainer for me. The, the role he played last year, I know he only pitched two or three days at a time, but he was getting the innings he needed. He was getting the job done. He was getting he was coming in situational roles and pitching really well. He had an ERA below uh, two, which is unheard of if you're a Red Sox reliever. But what are your thoughts on that? I don't know if you know who Garrett Whitlock is. No, <laughs> no, 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 I'm taking it. I mean, honestly, though, I had to I had to refresh my knowledge a little bit for this one. Yeah, you're good. But considering the we're going to go for general state this time, that's good. I mean, look, what I do know is last time we have Matt Barnes and Evolved going to the All-Star game in 2021. All right. Two pitchers. That's solid. Out of five, six selections with J.D., Rafi and um, Xander Bogarts, three players, infield, outfield combined, and then 40% 
pitching. That is great for this team. And we've known two before between Chris Sale, many other pitchers have been so prominent for this team. And to think that this is a struggle is a bit of a question mark to someone who's a bit more on the casual side of baseball, um, at least for a Boston fan like me. So to see this happen, especially in the closing, I do have to agree. It's, it's a, it's stressful. It's, it's the end of the game it's when it comes down to these tight situations. It's, it's, let's not, let's not, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for here? Let's, let's be, let's be true to ourselves. It's, it's a very difficult position to be in. No questions yeah. asked. And mm-hmm. um, hardest three outs in baseball. For sure. And if we can get that under control, that'd be something great. Is, are we looking to make a trade at the moment for that kind of thing or make a call up? Um, there is a prospect in the minors, Brian Bayo, Bello Bayo. I don't know, but he's one of the best, I think, all around pitching prospects in baseball. He's certainly the n- number one Red Sox pitching prospect, but uh, he just got promoted to triple A, but I don't think he's ready. I don't think mm-hmm. the that, front office that, wants to rush him. Yeah. But I don't think, I think the Red Sox have always been hesitant when it comes to call ups because, for like I said before, for a player like Jaron Duran, who to come in and immediately make an impact with the major team after playing with um, the Woo Sox or they were the Woo Sox this season. Anyways, but with um, was, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, no, no, yeah. So for a player like Duran to come in and make that kind of an impact and then almost to become an afterthought at the end, come in for two games in May, uh, sorry, a game earlier in May, two games earlier this month. And to really just, kind of be pushed back and say, Hey, we have these players that we can rotate in out. We don't really need to look in that area. Maybe this is something that aside from COVID protocols, the Red Sox need to look into if this is the pitching problem. I don't know if trades or signings are the biggest priority for the Sox right now, but if Durant can come in um, while Arroyo's out and make an impact out of position that would still be very good to see. And I think that would send a message that, hey, if this is what needs to happen in order to fix the closing situation, the mm, kind of offsetting that happens to do with the pitching, I see no reason why we can't give that a go, especially on this hot streak. Yeah, I'm, I mean, back to the point you made before, like you asked, like, are we looking to make some like trades? Mm. And I, I always look back and what teams always, always first question, like what teams can we trade for? Like the teams are, that are struggling right now, the white Sox or the, the white Sox aren't really in a sell mode. They're more of a, we're very disappointed, but the, their, their core is young enough where they can keep them. So, um, but, but point aside is, um, the prospects that you're probably going to have to give up to get some of these good arms, probably going to be top 10 probably. And is Bloom willing to do that in a rebuild? Cause right now we're in a rebuild of a um, farm system in general. Um, you're not going to trade Cassis or I don't, I don't know if you know, these guys are not Cassis, Blaze Jordan, um, Jeter Downs is a big name. Um, I know Jeter Downs. Jeter yeah. Downs. We got a Mookie, mm-hmm. Mookie Betts trade, but I think he's a he's a guy you could trade. And then, like you were saying, Jaron Duran. I think he's a big 
he's a big player right now because you could trade someone like Bradley and a prospect for a decent reliever. Reliever. I'm not against that. I said that last up uh, last episode on this podcast, but some people don't like to agree with me. They they think Bradley's a Boston. He stays there, but he's he's a glove first outfielder who, excuse my language, can't hit for shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, he can't hit. Fair he's enough. hitting 200, but he 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 will he is taking walks. But mm. I don't know how much time you want to spend on baseball. But it's a good conversation. It's a great conversation. Honestly, though, if if there's one time right now to be a Boston fan, especially in the basketball world, it's right now. I mean, we take a look. The Bruins, Connecticut's own. No. Connecticut's own. I mean, the Bruins, unfortunately, did not go far in this year's playoffs. And I mean, they were playing the Canes. And look, I had I had hopes. And honestly, that that's the beauty of hockey. It's unlike a really other sport. It doesn't really matter what seed you are in hockey, even though you're playing seven games. It's not a one game decision factor like football, even though you're playing in best of seven series or, you know, best of five uh, really depends on how many wins or how that best of seven plays out. The seeds almost don't matter in hockey. Almost any team can win. Um, but at the same time, the Canes ended up being the better team mm-hmm. with the Celtics. It almost looked to be that way this year too. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to mention the Bruins, but I did not expect the Bruins to make that far of a run this year. Uh, I know they are in a win now phase, but there's a lot of question marks on the team. I mean, Marsh, Marshawn and McAvoy are out for six months with injuries and yes. surgeries, which is very big. And you just fired what's uh, Cassidy who, mm-hmm. Yesterday uh, was hired by the Golden Knights. Um, oh, already? Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, it was yesterday. And I, I was a little shocked, to mm-hmm. be honest. But um, another, I mean, maybe, maybe that was a move because Bergeron wasn't a huge fan of Cassidy. I heard there's a few rumors of him and Cassidy just not getting along. I heard a few rumors that's why David Krejci left for the Czech Republic. Mm. Um, but if I we want that one, yeah. But the Bruin, the Bruins have two very or one very huge decision to make in the off season. Are they going to go all in right now with Bergeron and the other this core and possibly get a David Krejci back, or are you going to start the rebuild now? Because 2023, the cap is hell. I don't know if you go on Twitter and just look at there's this Bruins account. Yeah, you know, you I've know seen a, I've about. seen a little bit. I've seen a little bit. Yeah, they are in deep trouble, and I think it's a lot's going to tell on David Pasternak too. Are you going to be able to lock him up for uh, how many years? Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a same we're in the same situation as we were last season. You don't you assuming you have Bergeron back, you don't have a second line center. Eric Hall is not a second line center. He's like, I agree. I agree. Charlie Coyle is not a second line center either. I like Me, Charlie Coyle, but I like him, but I yeah. he, he, he should stay with Craig Smith. And, mm-hmm. um, but then you have other contracts where you can move around. You can move around Jake DeBrusque. Uh, maybe he's interested in joining another team, but I don't know. Right. Um, maybe trade him. The goalie situation. I mean, that's a tough all, one. That's a tough one. You've got all mark for a while, but 
that's assuming Swayman needed development time, but he's fine. But right, and I think w- with the Bruins, the thing is, is that we've had Bergeron, we've had Marchand for a while, we've had a lot of chances at the Cup, and we've gotten one, uh, right? And as we look into the situation, the cap, like like you said, the cap is hell. Looking forward, I think. This and not to say that this Bruins team is incapable of winning going forward because they are the youngest player on this team. I'm almost certain is 23 or 24 years old, which doesn't give a lot of it's hope. Jake DeBrusque. It's Jake DeBrusque, <laughs> which doesn't give a lot of hope, let's say in five years. However, we do have Marchand and Bergeron, who are, I want to say, 34. Four and 37, respectfully. Might be a little off there. And David Pasternak, who is at the beginning of the peak of his, uh, how do I put this? Like the peak of his human athleticism. 26 to 28 is the peak. And on the ice, that could be a different story. I know for basketball, it's 26 to 28 is the target range. And that's starting as, you know, the sports world develops a better understanding of the human body. We see players like, LeBron and Kyle Lowry and other players uh, develop later on or extend this peak. But my point is, is that when you have a key position like goalie, where we're not sure of who's going to be the concrete starter, I think in baseball, you can fluctuate because it's multiple positions, but goalie is set. It's okay to have two, but on a championship team, you got to have a key guy. That's that, that's how I look at it. Mm. At the same time, if we have our, two of our best players uh, nearing their 40s and our best player in his athletic prime with no players between 18 and 23, and yeah, in hockey, it's different. You got college kids who are still mm, 19, 20, 21, who are signed to teams but aren't really playing, so they're not technically on the roster. Yeah, I think the Bruins need to go into a win-now mode this offseason, utilize what they can out of this god-awful cap situation and if it doesn't work it's time to go into rebuild build around what you got left of Pasternak um and develop McAvoy keep going because I I if anything that goes into a rebuild situation with the Bruins Charlie McAvoy is going to stay on this team yeah I mean we have him locked up too I mean him and Lindholm we have locked up for a while Lindholm's eight years I think McAvoy I don't know how many years he is but yeah him and um, uh, McAvoy and Lindholm will lead. He might, they might be centers and Pasternak will be center of the rebuild. They'll build the team around them. But I just look at what you gave up for Lindholm. You gave up like a first and second round pick. I know that's pretty big, especially when you have your best prospect on this. I'm, I'm purely basing this off radio too. That's um, fine. I heard they're like best prospects, not nowhere near like, NHL ready mm-hmm. so I think maybe like I was saying before if you could get Krejci back for a year Bergeron back for a year I think you're they're gonna have to do it now because it's now or never I completely agree um I'll jump I'll jump gears for a moment but um a lot of people also think that that same mentality um that it's now or never is going to apply for this young Celtics team, which I think is interesting. And, you know, looking at this final situation at the time of the recording, right now we're down 3-2. And a lot of people, and this is the media narrative that goes back and forth with the Celtics, it's, 
oh, it's already over. And I hear some of my, some of my friends said the same thing. And th- this has happened every time. We went down 3-2 with Milwaukee. We went down 3-2 with Miami. What happened? We won both those series, you know, knock on wood. But at the same time, this is a completely different ballgame. This is the NBA Finals. And I'm worried that the Celtics kind of popped the champagne a little too early because we finally broke the mold of not getting to the finals with multiple championship caliber teams that this organization has put together. Yeah. I mean, people are blaming so like they're solely blaming uh, MA they're solely blaming Tatum and Brown for the lack of uh, production in the past few games. But I will say this and I'm, 99% 99% sure you will agree with me. The Celtics, okay. along with playing the Warriors, are playing themselves. They are the better yep. team. They Their bench is seemingly awful right now. They can't get anything out of Grant Williams. They can't get anything out They Derek White was okay early, but they're not getting the stuff they need out of him right now. If this continues, they're done. Something's got to change. Something's got to change. I completely agree. And I, you know, you take a look at this team on paper, the Boston Celtics, you got an eight man rotation. That is it. That has gone all the way from sweeping the Brooklyn Nets who wanted to play us from taking down Giannis or without Chris Middleton. Okay, fine. Still went to seven games. We're still the better team too. I, I agree. And still took down the Miami heat who, visibly had more depth than this Celtics team. And when you take a look at this final situation, like Jason just said, we have Grant Williams, who's debatably doing as bad as Draymond Green. Mm -hmm. You have Derek White, who is doing the one thing that Derek White does that bothers me severely, which is he... (laughs) hesitates every time he has an open shot i don't get it and then he gets clamped and then takes some random step back and somehow makes it um just like jordan or he misses it and then rob williams will come out of outer space and dunk exactly and he's gonna need a new knee he he is gonna need a new knee i'm i'm a little worried about that and it's a very bizarre situation that the celtics have where it's they're able to win games using just eight players but the one thing that the Celtics never fail or never fail to amaze me with is how they make the same mistakes over and over. And I agree. It's Celtics versus Celtics in this series. It's, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Yes. Are, are they the two best players on this team? Absolutely. Do they turn the ball over consistently more than I've seen anyone else? Also, yes. They aren't guards. They don't have to have that vision. Jalen Brown guard forward. They don't have. Okay. In quotes guard, right. Jalen Brown doesn't need to have that kind of vision as the player. He is, he's a great player all around, but you know, at the same time, and if you've watched any of these finals games, you'll see them project the same little pop-up on the screen. When the Celtics get more than 16 turnovers, which is very you can when you know they're having a bad game, you know they're having a bad game. They lose almost every time. When it's under that, they win. And as I'm watching game five the other night, 
losing sleep, knowing I have work the next morning. I'm sitting there watching us go into the uh, the second half already with nine turnovers, knowing this game is probably going to be over already. And you were wrong. We did come back. Then we shot ourselves in the foot in the fourth quarter. Absolutely. And that's a rare situation for this team. Usually it's the third quarter where we're doing absolutely awful. And we have some fan magical Michael's secret stuff fourth quarter. I, I, I'm, I, it's, it's funny. They never failed to amaze me. Same yeah. mistakes, just in different ways. Look, I've been saying this all series, and they finally did it in game five. Do not give the ball to Curry. And when he has the ball, do not let him shoot. And yes. guess what? He did not hit a single three. And they still nine. lost. And they yes. still lost. I, I'm sorry. If you, if, if you limit Curry to zero threes, you have to win the game. Jason, I 100% agree. There was no better time for the Celtics. That was a once in a blue moon occasion. Steph Curry, the greatest shooter in NBA history. No debate. Shooting 0 for 9, I'm pretty sure, from the field. I'm um, sorry, from 3. From- over oh, oh, for nine from three, that's from nearly that's nearly unheard of, and for that to happen, and us still not being able to pull out the win. Um, let's not forget though, Andrew Wiggins putting on a great performance. Oh, Andrew Mon- Wiggins, wow, you're he he'd be he'd be my MVP. I'm sorry, oh, yeah. he'd uh, be my MVP. I'm sorry, Curry. <laughs> He's the only reason why he saved your ass in game five. Mm-hmm. But I will say. I wanted to punch pool in the face so much that game. <laughs> if if I if I could spawn someone right now, I would want to freaking Mike Tyson him in the face. <laughs> Look, uh, Jordan Poole is an interesting player. He's like he's like Mini Curry in general. But I don't know what it is this series. He's just turned into a human highlight reel only, taking step back air balls, almost doing the same thing that Tatum was in uh, that game five. And then somehow at the end of the third or at the end of the second, he just shoots one from half court banks off the glass and falls. And he did the same thing in game two. And I don't know how that's happening. And also him flopping. The refs made some awful calls that game too. Uh, You know, Marcus smart nearly hit him in the face and he flopped. And that was a missed call. Look, Say what you want about the refs. They were bad, but the turnovers are onyx inexcusable. Ex- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They, you can't turn the ball over, like you said, that many times and expect to win. That is just not going to happen 99% of the time. And the yeah, like Jimmy said, we're recording this on the day before game six. It is at home. Just do not collapse. This series has been... Defined defined by streaks and hot runs, 10-0 runs, 13-2 runs. That that it's been that all the freaking time. If the Celtics are gonna win game six, they gotta limit the turnovers and stop shooting three unnecessary threes. They gotta stop shooting. I think you can agree with me on this one too. The the Celtics that they're down three, they always try to go for three and tie it. And 
we saw it in game four. They keep missing. They got to get those easy shots. They got to chip away. I don't care if you're down three. Get the easy two if you can. Mm. I partially agree with that one. Um, because for whatever reason, and this has been a thing since, let's say, the Kyrie and Hayward era of the Celtics. And this isn't really a coaching thing. It's almost like a playbook thing where the Celtics, and if you watched um, the Celtics playoffs in the bubble, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The Celtics tried to turn into the Warriors um, back then when they were playing like Miami. If you watch that series, you know the Celtics were pulling deep threes contested for no reason, and they would miss all of them. And they wouldn't play through great spot-up play. I mean, listen, the mid-range shot, um, so, some of these other key good areas of basketball were being underlooked. But for whatever reason now, the Celtics have players who can hit those three-pointers. Uh, Derek White sometimes, Grant, uh, Grant Williams sometimes, but most notably Tatum, Pritchard, Brown, Horford, and Smart. All five of those players I can count on for a three-point basket. But at the same time, I also have to agree slightly that, yeah, we can't always be looking for those shots. Robert Williams is shooting like 92% from the field, not from the free throw line, from the field. I don't think I've visibly seen or can recall him missing a shot this series. Every time the ball gets in his hands, he's making it. Kevon Looney can't stop him. But we also have to be careful with him, too. And I don't care. Listen, I don't want to see anybody get injured. But if there's any time I want to see Ime Udoka put 100% effort into Rod Williams and say, give it your all. We got a great conditioning team um, earlier in the playoffs helping Smart and Tatum. I know. Um, that was fantastic. So if there's any way that we get Rob Williams 100%, and even Horford, too, he can make buckets inside the paint. Most of Horford's work is off the stat sheet, and any Celtics fan knows that. But if there's any time for us to give everything we can um, into rebounds offensively, defensively, even going both ways, game six and seven is where it needs to happen. Here's an, another interesting point. Do you let Rob, Rob Williams so, – does MA say, go 100% game six, we need, we need to win this. We need to force a game seven before we have any hope. You, re, you run the risk of – him missing the game seven mm-hmm. as in game seven, as in you're not going to get that many minutes from him. He, he'll probably be available. It's a game seven. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Milwaukee series. You just have him available if needed, but, but you know, he's going to need more time to recover. If that's the bottom line here. Are you for that? I'm for it. And I'll explain why the warriors have been a team that's ran through small ball. And they still, even from when they're initial champions to now, but it's more small ball now. We got players coming off the bench like Jordan Poole, Gary Payton. They tend to run small, and somehow they're still getting these boards. Kevon Looney, three fouls in the first quarter. And Looney's not that great of a player, let's be honest. He, he's got time to develop. He what was do you mean? Late... He's like the next LeBron James? He's a... I don't know about that. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a he was a late first round pick. It's not like we're expecting him. I mean, maybe he's the next LeBron. We're expecting uh, him to be the bet the next best player. But let's say hypothetically, Ime gives 
Rob Williams, the green flag to give 100% in game six. And he goes down. He's hurt. What, what, what's the situation now? Here's what we do. We keep the same um, backcourt. Marcus Smart at the point, guarding Curry the same way he did in game five. That has still got to happen. What was wrong was on the turnovers in the offense. So we keep Marcus Smart at the one. Jalen Brown, we're going to keep him at the two. And Jason Tatum at the three. Draymond and Grant Williams are basically the same player in this series, right? We have both of them not really scoring the basket much, uh, getting a lot of fouls and not making three-pointers. Grant Williams is not scoring. If they're guarding each other, they're essentially canceling each other out. We can put Al Horford at the five temporarily. If we play him for the first couple minutes and for whatever reason that's not going well, bring Tyson. Every time they've brought in Tyson in in this series, He's played good. He's crashed the boards. He can make that three-point shot and play the game that the Warriors are also playing, which is focusing around that three ball. Yeah, I mean, you just got to do what you did to Curry. That's worked. And I've been saying Clay Thompson is nowhere near his peak self in, what, 16 or 17? You know yes, you know what I'm yes. talking about. Yeah. Um, Okay, sure, Wiggins is – he's playing out of his head right now, mm-hmm. in my opinion. He's playing crazy. But if you can if you can do the same thing you did in game five, maybe defense is a little bit better. It was here and there. Eh. Another thing the Celtics got to do, stop looking at the ref every time they foul. Yep. I don't care if you want to – what what good is that going to do? That led to a few – MA basically said in the sec- in the halftime last game, stop looking at the ref. What does Grant Williams do? Looked at the ref. Yep, gives him every gives him the freaking look. foul. He puts his hands up. I think mm-hmm. that's a given. But what the Celtics gotta do, Tatum and Brown gotta stop playing hero. Yep. Tatum is not a Giannis. Jalen Brown is not a LeBron. I yes. will say that. It's true. Um, of course, let's let's be real. They are great players, but they are 25 and 24 years old. We have to remind ourselves that, no, they're not at their best yet. They've only been in, <clears throat> excuse me, they've only been in the league for five or six years, which, you know, by now can be superstar level for them. And I think T- Tatum is on that superstar level. But however, as the leader of this Celtics franchise right now, um, he has to be aware that when it's not your game to play, know that you have players like Marcus Smart, Al Horford, even Grant Williams, even though he hasn't been really good since the Milwaukee series, in my opinion, that can drop 25 on a given night. Even players like Pritchard or Derek White, who can do the same thing. And know that the team around you, whether it's an eight-man rotation or a 13-man rotation, can bring that high level to back you up. And that's what's gotten the Celtics this far. Yeah, I th- you, you made an interesting point before I kind of want to touch on. Like in, 20, in 2020, the bubble, you said, I mean, they were making very unnecessary shots from like, they were playing like they're the Warriors. They were ready, but they're not proven. Yes. I think in every sport, 
I look, they might be, a player might be ready for top level play. And then they might be uh, developed enough, but they're not proven. They're not ready. They're not this like all-star LeBron James or not, not, not even LeBron James. Like just, they're not, you know what I mean by proven, right? They're just yes. not, they're not ready. They're not developed enough. Okay. I keep contradicting myself now, but <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But these, these guys still have years in front of them. Mm. It'd be a shame if these guys did not win. I think the Celtics are the better team in this. They're just, like I said, playing themselves, playing themselves, making the same mistakes. You know, if whenever this episode comes out and I don't know, maybe it's going to be tomorrow. Maybe it's going to be after game six, Friday, Saturday, or some point in next week going forward. Right. If I'm looking back, watching this episode now, knowing the outcome of game six and it's the Warriors taking home another championship in their era, my genuine question with no championship for the Celtics here is once again, what is really the next step moving forward? Because although we've proven that we can make a championship run just under this eight man rotation, I'm not sure what the next move for the Celtics really would be. It's, it's an interesting take for a team that's already proven to be good, but in already a, really stacked conference with teams like Miami teams like uh, Milwaukee. And I mean, you could go as far to say really Philadelphia, even though James Harden is a bit overrated in my opinion, at this point of his career, Mm -hmm. I don't really know what the next move would be. It's strange, but the Celtics have problems with this team. I watched game five the other night and I did not see a finals caliber team in the Celtics. I didn't know what I was watching. But to see that inconsistency and still to get to this point raises questions for if this team can really withstand going forward. You know, we got Al Horford finding the fountain of youth, but he's still 36 years old. We have players where I'm not sure what their contribution to this team is because yeah, an eight man rotation is very impressive, but what happens when we have a lot of injuries, who's going to step up if, You know, for example, we, for whatever reason, lose a guy like Pritchard, lose a guy like Derek White. We need people to step in for the small ball. Pritchard is a small guy. He's, I don't know how tall he is. He might be 5'11 for all that matter. But it's so weird to think of a finals contenders team, or not a finals contender, sorry, a finals caliber team as a team that needs help, it seems weird. It's like one plus one equals three, but at the same time, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. And I do have faith. Celtics are going to pull this off. I do too. And I think the first step is focus on winning this game. I think as much as you're probably might disagree with me. Game five was a very big wake up call to the Celtics saying like, what are we doing? We are so the better team. We have a gun. We're shooting ourselves in the damn foot. What good is that doing? Let's regain everything. That was our first back-to-back loss. That was our first loss following a loss of the postseason. In my opinion, 
our first real loss since January. And all these past games are making me, they're making me think, or they're making me realize this is the exact team we had back in the first half. A terrible team that had the, had the chemistry, just wasn't getting it done. They have the chemistry. We've seen mm. it now, but they're not getting it done. And my let's, let's play, let's play Celtics win on an amazing win, uh, like a statement win, like they did game three. Right. Let's pretend, let's pretend that happens game six. What's the approach for game seven? Because are you going to be like, oh, 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 we beat these guys. We we're capable of doing it. So let's prepare the same way. Or are you going to approach it like a loss? That's mm-hmm. the interesting thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I, that is a great question. It's the same inconsistency with this team. That is, it's very weird. It's very, very weird. It's this where we've never lost two games back to back in the postseason, like you just mentioned. And then on top of that, it's the same mistakes that just keep happening in different ways. And for the first time, I think ever in this whole Celtics postseason in game five, we missed like half the free throws we took. That was shocking. I have never seen something like that from this team from the postseason. And you're right. It's almost like I was watching um, first half of this regular season Celtics. And that, funny enough, is the team where we had more role players in a larger rotation with players like Richardson, Hernan Gomez. Um, shout out to the new Hustlers movie on Netflix. I have to watch it, but Schroeder, that was... Or whatever his name is. Schroeder? Um, Dennis Schroeder? Dennis Schroeder? No, oh, yeah, and Dennis Schroeder as well. Yeah. It, it's funny how when you have a larger rotation, we do worse. But, I mean, for whatever reason, it seems to work. And if we do make a statement game six, and I think this whole game six clay thing, as much as I've talked to people about it, it's overrated. It's not, I, I think we're going to be able to shut it down. As long as we can hold down Curry too, we can hold down clay Thompson. Right. Granted, we do win game six, which I think is what's going to happen. I think this is going to go to seven games. I think the approach is that this game seven Ime Odoka has to stress to this team that this is going to be one of the most important games, excuse me, ever for like this young organization, for players like Horford who have never been to the finals before and are reaching the end of their career, for players like Derek White, who played for San Antonio, a great organization, an organization who's known to win. And this is going to be a big game against a big dynasty And I think the approach that we have to go by is, is that we choked, which is true. We were up 2-1, and now we're down 3-2. And I think okay, I'll stop you there. I'll stop you there. I wouldn't say it's a choke. I wouldn't say it's a choke. Lightly. I would say, or I wouldn't say it's a choke just because we were up 2-1. I would say it's a choke because we had amazing chances in games four and five. Okay. I'm sorry, continue. Okay. So, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it's as big of a choke as I made it out to be. But, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, uh, it was a bit – this was a bit of a stressful um, point so far. It's It's been, 
you know, watching these games, knowing I, like I said before, like I have work the next morning at 8 a.m. and uh, losing sleep is just, it's taken a couple years off my life. And, uh, <laughs> you know, as a Boston sports fan, that's already a thing. But I mean, we're, you know, Jason and I, we're passionate sports fans, especially for this legendary city, legendary region of New England. And for this to happen, is just fantastic for the Celtics. We already got to this point. The question now is, how do we approach it? Are, are we gonna are we gonna lose Game Six in Boston? Are we gonna lose the title in Boston? Absolutely not. That is not happening. Let me mention that the Tony brothers were refing Game Five. I don't think it made as big of a um, officiating difference, but there were some stupid calls. Like one of the, I think Gary Payton tripped himself, and Grant Williams got a foul. That, anyway. that, that is where I was okay with him throwing his hands up. I was yes. okay yes. with that. But he does that, regardless, he does that every time. Yeah, he does. Grant does do that every time. If I was a Celtics, if I was not a Celtics fan, I would not like Grant Williams and I would not like Marcus Smart. I'll put it that way. Because Smart does have the flop tendencies as well. Um, but I love not Marcus Smart. As, not as much as um, Jordan Poole, Poole or <laughs> Peyton. But yeah. I mean, that's a given, but. That is a given, yeah. To win but, game six and seven, the bench just has to be better. Yeah, I think so too. Um, but man, this is this is gonna be one to watch. I'm really interested to see what this approach is from Ime Odoka, but I know he's gonna he's gonna lay it into his team and he's gonna solidify that this is what he's gonna do. I'm I'm really curious to see if we don't pull this off, what the approach is gonna be like going forward. We have a rookie uh rookie head coach who brought his team from subpar probably going to miss the playoffs under 500 team with two all-star arguably superstar players to going to game six in the NBA finals. And I don't know what the next steps would be. And hopefully I don't have to ask myself that question because we'll get to that point. And I think we're going to definitely go into game seven, but the approach for that game, man, we have got to stay, and I'll stress this enough, this is, I think, the approach. Got to stay out of foul trouble and avoid chirping with the refs. Because he may got a tech. Mark Smart got a tech. It wasn't really shown that well, but they both got technical fouls. And as long as we can keep the players who need it at the end, stay out of it. And one more thing I'll mention before I'll hop back over to you. We have got to take advantage of the bonus. because. The Warriors go into foul trouble just as much as the Celtics do. However, when we're getting to the last four, three minutes of each quarter, we'll get to the bonus and we're not attacking the basket or we can easily get contact through an and one or two free throws. But when we get to that line, we got to make those free throws. That's a given. That's not going to happen again. I doubt that's going to happen again. Yeah. I mean, you, you basically hit it right there. They got to capitalize on their opportunities. This goes for every single Boston sport. Get the opportunities and finish them. Because I'm trying to think of an example of... Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Five missed free... Five missed, like, free throws in a row. Do we have, like, five missed free throws in a row, I think? I didn't see that one, but I want to... I don't know. I, I we had a lot of missed true. free throws in a row. We had a lot of missed free throws in a row. I know it's in Golden State, but come on. Oh, it yeah. can 
time and time again, I'm seeing Tatum or Brown missing their first shot. And I'm like, dude, just get there your first shot. It's not the end of the world if you missed your second shot. That's that's different. But missing your first shot, you come on. Mm-hmm. And the and the other point I was going to make last season, I think the easy the easy thing was after losing to the Nets, it, uh, Brad, they got to move on from Brad Stevens as a head coach and bring yep. in, and bring in someone else. I would have said like, uh, have like Tatum or someone pick it, but it mm. worked. We got a good head coach. And like you said, I don't know what they do. If they if they lose game six or seven, especially game six, what do they do? I, I think, don't know. Yeah, I think circling back on that now, when you brought up Brad Stevens, let's be real. This type of turnaround that we had uh, from the up till January, up till the point right now, would have never happened if Brad Stevens was still the head coach. I like Brad Stevens. That's why he's still in the Celtics organization as our general manager. But that would have never happened under a Brad Stevens head coaching job. However, what Brad does really well is know the team. And that's piggybacking off of Danny Ainge. There's nothing wrong with that. But they've made great decisions, trading away those players that we didn't need. And now we only have eight players in this rotation. And that's brought us to the finals. And Whatever we do next under the direction of Ime and Brad is going to be, I'm, I'm trusting them with whatever we do. Now the thing that we have to realize is that we're about to hit Tatum and Brown's peaks in these next few years. And in an NBA era where teams are less likely to stay with their original teams and shift over to another team, uh, you know, to make it maybe build a super team. That's the one thing I'm scared of happening. The one exception to that point, though, is that this is the very first time in, I want to say, the past five to six years since the Super Team era started, where the teams in the finals were built, not bought. This Celtics team was built from the jump. It was built off of that Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce trade about 10 years ago. It's coming to fruition now. You can make the argument that we bought Al Horford for a hefty price, but Let's be honest. He's been a great piece to this team. And I, off the stat sheet, he's been a great piece of this rotation, and he's a big that can shoot. That's something you need in this era. And when I take a look at the Warriors, Curry, Clay, Draymond, Jordan Poole, Kevon Looney, all drafted players by the organization and all at different picks. Draymond, a second rounder. Looney, a late first rounder. Steph Curry, a top 10 pick. These are teams that were built not bought and that is something that is relieving to see and i don't think tatum and brown would jump shift uh granted we have off seasons coming up i hope that our cap space and our you know proven effectiveness with this team will help them stay there yeah i mean the the, the, the reason why i was saying eh, to al horford technically we didn't we draft him uh did we i don't know i well i'll have to look that we up. traded him for chem like kemba and like that stuff. I know? think the Atlanta Hawks drafted him. I'll I'll take. Oh a quick no, you're look right. You're that. right. You're right. I think. I okay. Think, I think you're right. I think you're right on that one. He's been in the league for a long time, but we've had Horford before. We signed him in like 2015, let him walk, and then brought him back again. But he's still he's a very hefty contract still. And could that money go elsewhere? Yes. 
would Al Horford coming back to the Celtics a second time also possibly say that he could take a pay cut to help this team prolong for the next few years? I mean, maybe if this guy is still dropping 25 points here and there on a given night at age 36, man, I, I, I'm stunned. I did not think Al would have this. I mean, is it inconsistent? Yes. But is, is he still making an impact on and off the stat sheet at this age? And could that prolong till 38, 39, maybe even 40? Sure. I'll be fine with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm just nervous. I don't know if you are or not. But... For, for this game six? Yeah. I'm and, terrified. Yeah. And <laughs> you were saying there's, you know, some people who said win now. It's a win now but you can make arguments for both. Yes. And I'll tell you why. Horford has been such a valuable piece. He might, he might leave. I think, didn't, do, do we get him extended? I heard they I were working know. on something, but let me, I'll you have other look. teams in the league. Giannis is only going to get better. In my opinion, you have yet the Miami heat who are a few pieces away from being, even better than they were. Um, the Brooklyn Nets are the Brooklyn Nets. Anything can happen with them. We haven't seen a full season with Ben Simmons, but he's a bum. So it's not going to make a difference. I agree. You have other teams. I think the people who, who you're referring to who are saying it's a win now, it's because there are other teams who are developing right now who might be better than the Celtics because some might argue the Celtics are at their peak performance right now. That's unfortunately might be the case, but there are other teams that are just going to be better than you in the future. And if you can't win now, it's all hopes lost. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I definitely think that this is a win now situation from now until 2025, 2026. We are in win now mode for the Celtics team. And that's going to go until Tatum is 28, 29, and we have more draft picks coming in. Are they going to be late rounders? Yes. But I think this is a win now situation um, for this team. I just looked up that Horford, um, they're guaranteeing the last year of the contract. So he's going to be sticking with the team, making it to the 26 and a half million uh, for next year. And I don't can't re- recall the contract situation off the top of my head but I want to say that this is a win now situation for the Celtics. We've been in win now for a while and that's fluctuated, but it hasn't worked out. And to be completely fair, that is mainly because of injuries. You take a look at, you know, we pick up Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and what happens in opening, opening night, Gordon Hayward breaks his leg in one of the worst injuries I've ever seen in my life. He's done. And he's, Let's be honest. He goes back. He goes to Charlotte and he played pretty well. Is that because of the Celtics rotations? Eh, maybe, but he's not the same player as he was in the jazz. That is, that is very evident. People were hoping he'd make that Paul George come back. And that didn't really happen with the same, or at least close to the same kind of injury. The Celtics under the direction of Ime Odoka, And I will stress this for as long as I can have never adjusted better to injuries than I've ever seen them play before since I started watching the Celtics when I was maybe four or five years old. They've never adjusted better to injuries. 
The training staff is fantastic. But not only that, we have Robert Williams and Smart, who have been struggling with injuries this entire postseason. Some, by the grace of God, come back two games later, put on a show, and when even they're not here, we're still winning games with uh, Tyson Naismith coming in just to fill their roles at times. And players like Grant being able to step up, players like White or Pritchard being able to step up and provide valuable minutes. And this would have never happened under this Brad Stevens direction. Is it because we have these players now and didn't have them then? No. I give all credit to Ime Odoka, and we should not overlook the fact that he's a rookie coach. This man has spent an exceptional amount of time, and viewers can correct me if I'm wrong here, in I want to say both Toronto and San Antonio, San Antonio being the bulk of that, right next to Greg Popovich, a legendary coach, all-time great coach. And for this type of direction to be coming into an already notorious franchise tied for the most banners all time, this is a critical piece in a very physical league and one that's ever evolving when it comes to the body healing medicine, knowing what to put in players' bodies. I'm exceptionally happy and I hope it stays that way. Yeah. You mentioned win now. I think the Warriors might be in a bigger win now. Curry and Clay, I will say. Yes. I think it was a little bit of a surprise they made it. I thought as much as I did not like the Suns, I knew they were not going to make it. I knew they were going to find a way to lose. And sorry, CP3, not winning a ring. Rondo was right. Um, But yeah you got to put that in a factor like Curry and Thompson are potentially playing in their last NBA finals as a member of the Warriors. That is a possibility. I'm not saying I, I could be totally wrong a year from now and say that they're both on their way for another tight, uh, another NBA finals, but they're, they're not, it's not the last dance, but they know inside it very well could be. Agreed. Um, I don't think the Warriors are an organization that will are willing to move those players around. It's almost like they kind of are playing using this old school basketball kind of organizational technique where they have these players, Steph, Clay, Draymond, and you could even throw Andre Iguodala into that conversation too who have been with this team for, well, Iguodala, I think, might have left. I'm not completely sure. But those three, Steph, Clay, Draymond, who have been together with this team now for 10 years, are all above age 30 and are still, with the exception of Draymond, playing very well. And I don't know if they're going to slow down anytime soon when it comes to that because we've seen this peak where – Steph Curry drops 45, sorry, 43 points the other night at age 30. I want to say 30. Curry's 35. 35 or 34, I think, right? I I want to say he's 34. 34, yeah. But Curry at age 34, six years after the athletic peak, is playing out of his mind still. Did we shut him down the other night? Yes. However, for that to still be apparent, for them to still have Steve Kerr as their head coach, 
for this core to still be together, who knows how to win a title. And even still, when Curry got injured last season, the Warriors were god-awful. And that, w- that was an exception because they didn't have Curry really playing well at all. Still dropped maybe 15 or 12 points in game five, but they still got the win against the Celtics. Last season, or uh, the uh, yeah, last season, the Warriors were not it. They, they were terrible. Excuse me. They ended up with a very high draft pick. And they get James Wiseman, who is hurt this series. Let's not forget that. Their starting center is not Kevon Looney. And for them to still be playing this good with their core players nearing their mid to late 30s and their young guys not even playing right now is insane. And it's kind of almost the same boat the Celtics are in. But I have to agree with you. I think the Warriors, even though they're more than capable of continuing going um, at this rate because their best players are mid-30s and nearing 40s, how long will that last? I cannot tell you. I think my guess is as good as yours, but you have that question. And if they, if the Warriors somehow lose this series, which I'm praying to God, I don't know what they do either. You know, I'm yeah. praying to God we win this series. They, some people don't remember. We almost, we came this close to losing game one. That's what scares me. You had a fourth quarter collapse of the century by the Warriors. They were, I don't know, what were how much were they up by? They were up by a lot. We were up by 12, and then we won by 12 at the end in the fourth quarter. I will say, you can't always rely on that. Oh, yeah. But that is your path to victory, a huge collapse. Mm. That is your path to victory. And I won't be surprised if we're up by 10, going in the fourth quarter of game seven, and we blow it. I won't won't, be surprised either. I would be surprised, unfortunately, as much. However, I do see a path for success for um, the Celtics. That path includes getting a statement win tomorrow in game six. In game seven, do not turn the ball over. Do not get a lead below 10. That's how you stay in basketball games. 10 or 15. I agree. And it's funny that the Celtics consistently end up in that situation as arguably the best defense in the league in multiple areas, uh, excuse me, multiple areas. It's funny that that keeps happening. It's, it, it's almost comical as a Celtics fan to watch them fall into the same trap over and over again. And I mentioned that a couple times uh, in this recording already, but it's just a little weird. As long as we can stay consistent not make those same critical errors that shouldn't be happening to a finals team, to a team who's already has two wins going into a championship team who's come this far with just eight players in the main rotation. It's as long as we can just do that and keep our shot selection good, not make stupid errors, not turn the ball over. Like you said, we should as the better team win this series however 
And I'll leave it to Brad Stevens and Ime Odoka to figure out what happens going into the 2022-2023 season. But I will tell you this. If the Golden State Warriors are the 2022 NBA champions, it speaks volumes to Steph Curry as an all-time player. For a player who went from the obvious MVP at the beginning of the season to being completely taken out of the MVP conversation and right back into it for at least the finals MVP. If the Warriors win this series, Stephen Curry is the greatest point guard to play NBA basketball. He's not just the greatest shooter, but he's better than Magic Johnson. I will 100% go down with that. With four championships under the belt to Magic's five, I don't, I don't care if Magic is five. I, I think genuinely Curry is the best. It, it's exceptional. It's absolutely exceptional the way this man plays. And as somebody who sat through and watched this man torch the hell out of the Celtics in game four, I couldn't be mad. I literally couldn't be mad. I was literally in awe watching him at age 34 too, doing this. I, absolutely shocked. And the result of this finals will speak volumes for both teams. Agreed. That was probably one of the most well said couple of minutes in this episode. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> but yeah, they, I just really hope we win this. I yeah. think. <sighs> I will too. That's all, all you can do is pray. All, all, all we can do. We, we've the Celtics team has gone up down sideways you know i got i i have kg and rondo shirt jerseys that don't fit me anymore i mean look as a boston sports fan i can't complain about not winning because we've been spoiled let's let's be honest we've been spoiled we've had a stanley cup at least i think since jason and i have been like alive literally a celtics championship a bruins championship three uh Sox championships Four? Yeah. Okay. Four Sox championships. Oh, four, oh, seven, 13, 18. Four Sox championships and six from from the Patriots? I mean, come on. I mean, that is insane. And on top of that, so many great teams from the Celtics that have been put together but just fell short. Many great teams from the Bruins that just fell short. That loss to the Blues – Still haunts me to this day. We should have won that series. We should have won that series, absolutely. But we, I can't complain as a loss. But this one, as somebody who, you know, as a guy who didn't really... Mm, how do I word this? As a guy whose go-to sport is basketball, whether it's watching or playing, this title means so much. And I will... Literally, I will say this now on the on the podcast, and I think whether or not we win this game or not, or sorry, win this series or not, I'm going to get a flag from my dorm room next year, uh, and it's going to say the Jalen Brown tweet, energy's about to shift. I don't care if we, if we lose for that matter. We broke the mold, and we went at least two games into the finals. This has been a run that will never be forgotten by Celtics fans, but it's not over. And that's one thing we got to remember going in. Not over at all. I was going to say something. Oh, yeah, back to that Bruins thing. I mean, game mm. five, 
They, they call that tripping call. They don't score that stupid goal. I know so many Bruins fans that are so mad about that. I remember, I remember watching that live, and I, I had no knowledge of hockey. <laughs> yeah, that's a trip, though. It is. I remember exactly how that went too. It was. I want I think I was a freshman in high school, or I was in eighth grade. It was one or the other. And I remember the last day of school was the next day, and I had a final or some kind of test in the morning. So it was probably my freshman year. Okay. So I had a final the next morning, the last day of school. And we all go to my friend's house and I'm like studying for my final, watching the game at the same time. And I'm just watching this whole thing fall apart. We have, we had Julian Edelman in the stands, banging the drum, ready, ready for this game to start. And just from the jump, I'm hyped and I'm solely watching this game and things just start to fall apart and it's heartbreak. And I can only pray to God that that will not happen in game six and that will not happen in game seven and the Celtics pull through and it's all about 18 and it happens. Yep. One, one in three outcomes is a Celtics victory. Unfortunately, the other two, the Warriors. Oh yeah. Unfortunately. Hey, we haven't, we haven't talked about the Patriots. We have not talked about the Patriots, man. Oh, this gets me fired up. All right. I am somebody who's really pivoted my focus towards football um, in recent years because, and honestly, it's thanks to fantasy. I, I'm the proud champion of two of my three leagues in the last year. And, you know, as maybe I, I start to shift more into this kind of football knowledge, I take a step back. And I look at what this new Patriots team minus Tom Brady is capable of doing with Mac Jones. I'm happy. I think he's got great potential. I think he's got great development, but as I sat and watched this off season happen for the Patriots, I can't help but sit back and just think, what the hell are they doing? Listen, I got no problem with Cole strange, the new um, lineman that we picked up. And I talked about this on one of my podcast episodes. I have no problem with him, but not at the end of the first round. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Do we need linemen? Yes. Yes. But no, not that early. I'm fine with, I forgot the wide receiver we picked up in the second round. That's a good pick. However, so like a, like a BC draft performance, if I were to give it a letter grade, but when we, sit back and let the Miami Dolphins pick up Tyreek Hill and we let Buffalo continue to be the best team in the AFC, uh, excuse me, AFC East. I'm sitting here and just thinking, what are we doing? What are we doing to contend? Is, are we just going to be riding the middle for the next couple of years? What's, what's the, what's the plan for Bill Belichick and these Patriots? I don't think, and hear me out. I said this a few weeks ago to you. We are not anything above six or seven wins. We have a okay. tough schedule. The division is the division. You're going to lose one against Miami. You're going to lose one against the Bills. You're probably going to, uh, here and there, you're going to get either, we, have, we play the Packers, we play, the Raiders, Josh McDaniels, head coaches from the Bill Belichick tree, 
tend to not do or tend to perform really well. We saw Matt Patricia. We saw uh, in I, what year was that? that was 2017. Matt Patricia, all because he knew the Patriots defense. Mm-hmm. This is not looking good. And a sophomore season for a quarterback is one of the most important developmental years for a quarterback. Sure. You get Devontae Parker. Sure. You get the fastest wide receiver in the draft. He's not, he's a practice squad guy for the next year. Mm-hmm. What? We did nothing to get better. And that should be the goal of every offseason. Except if you're tanking, but I hate tanking. Yeah. Never will support it. I agree. I I think tanking's stupid. I mean, look, I think tanking is really annoying when it comes to the part of let's okay, let's take a look at the NFL draft, for example. Uh when we tank. The weird thing about the draft is it's so hit or miss as compared to all the other sports. I mean, we got a guy like Trevor Lawrence who mm, we'll see. That's a big question mark for me personally. Trevor Lawrence is a big question mark and he's number one. And when you can really get a guy, we could take a look at Pittsburgh, like Kenny Pickett. I think he's going to do very well for the Steelers going forward. Um, And then you know, I got I to gotta circle back my point here. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I confused myself, but that's okay. Uh, NFL tanking. draft. Tanking. Man, the NFL draft can go totally sideways. You can go the first 15 picks on any given year, nothing, and have absolutely nothing. And I don't really get why that happens. I know football is a sport of many different positions as opposed to all the rest so so many different positions and you can't really play positionless like you can with maybe basketball baseball and if you want to go there arguably hockey but eh. anyways what i'm trying to say here is it's very weird in football to see tanking and that kind of goes because it's not a guarantee I also, and I'll put this out there and maybe hop back to it later, I think a portion of the NFL All-Star, because um, the the All-Star break is suffering uh, when it comes to the Pro Bowl, I'm pretty sure the viewership was at an all-time low. The two worst teams should play for the number one pick. I fully support that, and I think that would drive viewership too. The NFL viewership, don't don't get me wrong, is no problem. I'm pretty sure the worst game still had like 5.6 million viewers. But let's be real. It's because it's on like CBS. Most other sports games are on random channels. That's also, that's a, that's a subject for another day. I could talk all day about that. But uh, you know what I mean? It's, it's hard to imagine tanking for NFL teams because there's only so much room where you can hide in a sport where there's so many positions and opportunities to get better. Yeah. You bring up a good point. The playing for the number one pick. I have talked with friends with this and I said, you know what? The NFL should institute a draft lottery. Mm -hmm. What if they do that? 
And then some people argue, including myself, I devil's advocate, you know, no, it's not really devil's advocate. It's just another side, but if you do a draft lottery, if there's a team that's actually in need, they're screwed. Mm-hmm. And there's so many talent. There's so much talent in a draft and a given draft. Like I'm trying to think Andrew Luck, clearly the, the Colts didn't deserve him in the end, but clearly the Colts needed him. And right. I, I, I'm mixed on the draft lottery and the NFL is the only major sport in the U S that does not have a draft lottery. Mm-hmm. The MLB just instituted one and obviously the NBA and um, NHL have one, but yes, the goal of a draft lottery is to derail tanking. Mm-hmm. And I guess the question you're raising and the question that is going to factor in whether I support it or not, is there tanking in the NFL? I mm. don't know. And I'm going to keep it there. I do not know if there's tanking right now. Jacksonville gets two number one picks in a row. How am I supposed to know if they're tanking or they just suck? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. That is a fantastic point. I see. I never thought of it that, that like that, because yeah, you you really don't know. Jacksonville, the two back to back number one picks, and in a sport where the draft is so all over the place, where it's like the number one pick, like the best player could go in the, like the fifth round or like the third round, even. It, it's hard to predict where the draft already doesn't play in. I mean, the most notable situation that I can think of for this kind of thing, I'm going to tie it back into the NBA with the draft lottery. I've, I've seen so many situations where time and time again, the New York Knicks got screwed over and over as one of the worst teams in the league, ending up with pick four, uh, three, six. I'm sitting here like, wow. And for a team of such high market like New York, you'd think that they'd gear towards trying to seriously improve. Maybe that's management issues. Maybe it's the lottery, but man, that is an excellent point. It's really hard to predict when NFL teams try to tank because with so much talent, so many positions, there's really no place to hide. And with only so many games to play, just 17 games in a season, there is nowhere to hide, but it's really how long can, can you do that if you're trying to tank and look, for the NFL to not have a lottery does speak volumes. Look, the other thing is what is the draft lottery supposed to do? I know I touched up on that. If you're the worst team, you're not supposed to get that number one pick. I'm sorry. That that's basically the point. Hmm. It also gets teams to spend money. And boy, oh boy, did the Jacksonville Jaguars screw up the wide receiver market with Christian Kirk. I'm sitting here. He got a massive deal. I'm like, this guy is not even a number one receiver. Yeah. Maybe on the Jaguars he is. Yes. He's, he's definitely wide one on the Jaguars. Any of the situation, he's wide receiver two or three. And they're spending money all of a sudden. Like, dude, 
why why should I think that the Jaguars are going to be good all of a sudden? You spend money, okay? That doesn't mean you're going to be good. Mm-hmm. So I'm... then that that that's where I'm against the draft lottery. But then it was clear to me in 2020 COVID year that <laughs> I just went for COVID year because I just didn't know what year it was. I don't know why. Besides the point, but. I did not know, or sorry, no, I did know in 2020, the Jacksonville Jaguars were not trying. Also, Mm. the New York Giants are a big key into that. Third in what? Third and seven inside your own five and you QB sneak? Explain, Joe Judge... No, I, you're not trying. You are not trying. Yeah. That offense. They got some of the best receivers. Then Kateri. Did they get Kateri? Yeah. Kateri is Tony. Tony. Oh yeah. Uh, Kenny Galladay, which that tweet is, he's like, comment how many touchdowns um, Kenny Galladay will get this season or something like that. Sterling Shepard as well. Sterling Shepard. Who, although I think was hurt for a good portion of last season. Um, they also had another receiver who came in when literally all the receivers were on protocol. And forgive me for talking fantasy football over real football, but literally had like 40 fantasy points because he literally played through the offense. I yeah. mean, let's, let's not forget that the Giants really struggled through injuries last year and COVID protocols. Their wide receiving core strongly affected by Exactly that. Saquon Barkley on and off the field. Daniel Jones on and off the field. And there's instances like that where it's like, okay, maybe they're just getting screwed by injuries. But like you said, QB sneak on third and seven, that's absolutely unacceptable for any NFL team, especially when you get Daniel Jones. I mean, look, if it's Kyler Murray, if it's Lamar Jackson, they're quarterbacks too. I mean, they're meant to run. Okay. Let me rephrase. They're running quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. Mark, or Mike Glennon, or is it Mike or Mark? Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon is not a freaking Kyler Murray. Yes, correct. He's not a Daniel Jones either. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That is such an indication of tanking, in my opinion. That's, I, that's the yeah. point I'm trying to make. I, I think it is, too. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to hide the tanking for the NFL it, because there's, there's no room to hide. I mean, maybe when you have COVID protocols and injuries playing a factor, that that could steer people away from that. But I, man, it's hard to imagine tanking. I mean, with no draft lottery too. That that I that was very good point though. And even would the NFL even consider a draft lottery, or are they leaning towards that way? It'd be I don't know. It'd have to be very aggressive if mm-hmm. it was, but I, I don't know. But like I said, they're the last major American sport with no draft lottery. Yes. Because the MLB just instituted theirs. So, yeah. but I mean, they have a clear tanking problem, but that's, I know I'm getting very off topic, but, <laughs> but the Patriots, man, their defense got, in my opinion, worse. Your number one corner is Jalen Mills. Jalen Mills at your number one corner. Okay. 
what is Bill Belichick expecting? Miles Bryant go have an insane year two jump. Malcolm, we do have Malcolm Butler, but let's well, him and well, Belichick hate each other. Yeah, which is um, and that's a story. For, am I gonna get this right from Super Bowl forty two? The um, there there was that whole fiasco from Super Bowl forty two. Oh, 52, Eagle, 52, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, fifty. Was it fifty? It was the Eagles one. Eagles, Eagles, Eagles. Yeah, Super Bowl fifty two where we have Patriots Eagles and this is conspiracy, but in spite of trading away, Jimmy Garoppolo, Belichick decides not to play Malcolm Butler in, in a, in the Super Bowl, which is, um, you know, a lot of theories about that one, but interesting. We do know they don't own. like each other. Yeah. I have my own, which yeah. I will, I, I'll spill it. Go for I it. think what happened was, during practice, Belichick's like, you know what? I don't really like your matchup. And then I, th- I think Butler said something to him. He's like, well, uh, what do you mean? Like, he, he talked back into Belichick. Belichick's like, you're not playing. Not on my watch. Not playing defense. He played one special teams. That's, that's crazy. That's that is absolutely nuts to me. And there's, all, and there's that conspiracy theory and just in Boston sports that the refs are, the refs are just – they group all they all group together and say, Hey, we're not letting Boston win another championship. That, that also could be very well possible. I mean, I have so many examples of that. I'll list yeah. up game five of the Stanley Cup finals, uh, game four of the AL, ALCS versus Houston. The no Evaldi, it, it, I know it was a tough breaking ball, but that should be a strike. And in a playoff game, that is a strike 99 out of 100 times. And we happen to have the 100th scenario mm-hmm. um what else you had the refs in last nba finals you had um not really patriots but there's not i don't know i don't know but not i don't know as in i don't know the patriots but my point is there's always that conspiracy theory there's a lot of things that we can do a whole episode on conspiracy yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things that the major sports leagues are doing well, like taking a step in the right direction in a lot of areas. Like, for example, what the NFL and the NBA are doing where, hey, let's play a game in Mexico or London. I mean, yeah, it's a little weird and far-fetched, but bringing uh, sports like that are U.S. Okay, okay, football, obviously American-dominated, right? But sports like basketball, um, where certain games will be played, maybe in Germany. Or, I mean, this is a possibility. I mean, it'd be kind of weird, but like outdoor basketball games, which would be kind of cool. Uh, wind is a factor in that, though, so that could throw things off. But taking a step in the right direction to bring the game elsewhere. Additionally, going back to basketball, a nice step in the right direction is the challenge. We have so many officiating errors that we look back on and say, what if or what could have been could have happened granted that the wrong call was made and we have had exceptional cameras and most notably right uh from my knowledge i i know in hockey it's hard to judge because the game moves faster than any other sport um so, excuse yeah. me arguably but in games like basketball football where there's drones and cameras everywhere and baseball where we can literally track the trajectory of the baseball from the mound to the catcher's glove and exactly where the batter's box should be 
we should be able to utilize those tools much more effectively. And if that means that we need to go back and make a call or fix something like we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals, where they overturned a three-pointer from Max Struess on the Miami Heat because he stepped out of bounds and they fixed it after the halftime, that needs to be utilized more often. Do you think the approach then in the NBA, since you're kind of advocating for it, Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of people say they're against the fact that you get one challenge and if you're wrong, you lose it. Okay. I feel like fouling happens way too much and there are way too many bad calls. They just play. Are you for having that challenge? Like, like in a lot of, you know, in, in the MLB, you get unlimited, you essentially get unlimited chances. But if you're, if you're wrong, it's over. You're, you're done. Are you for that in the NBA? It, I'm for the need of a challenge. It 100% needed to be there. The system needs to be changed, in my opinion. Basketball versus any other sport I've watched, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Celtics fan or, oh, this happens to the Celtics. It doesn't matter. The amount of calls that I've seen, they're just outright wrong, are much more than once a game per team. I'm talking five. Basketball is already a sport where you foul a lot. There's a lot of interruptions. A game that's 48 minutes long is on TV for three to four hours because of how many stops there are. I'm not saying don't call these fouls, or I'm not saying to prolong it by having more challenges, but... If it's something that needs to happen to make the game more effective and just stop these awful calls, that might need to be exactly what happens, whether it's utilizing camera footage, overturning something later on. I Look, I'll put it this way. Here's my proposed solution. Instead of one challenge, and if um, the challenge is unsuccessful, it takes away a timeout for the team. That's stupid. That's ridiculous. I don't like that at all. I think there, there should be um, up to three challenges and make it formulate it in the best way that it doesn't slow down the game too much. We have so many camera angles that we don't need a, to go to a commercial break for two and a half minutes. That decision should be made, in my personal opinion, in 60 to 90 seconds tops. And we don't even need to go to commercial break. Show, show me some advertisements. Show me, I, I, I don't know, cheerleaders or something. Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> show me something or them going over the call that needs to happen. I know we are in a world of a lot of advertisements and we go to commercial breaks a lot, but these decisions can be made so much faster and so much more effectively, granted on the technology that we have. And I don't understand why it's not being utilized better unless there's some rigging going on, but... <laughs> That might have to be next episode. Oh, yeah. We could, we'll be yeah. pushing four hours if we talk about officiating for oh, that much gosh. longer. Now will be our title of our next episode, Officiating in Major American Sports. Mm-hmm. I already got it. Boom. I love it. But back to your point, they should be there should be more, co- not coaches challenge, there should be more official reviews. Absolutely. Officials, one person might see something, another person might see something else. Why I don't know. Is that a rule in the NBA? Are there official challenges or no? Uh, official reviews? I don't really know. Because I know in football, that's a big thing. Is it- I think 
I think it's rare. I've, I've only seen it a couple times because they've added this challenge thing and the refs are a lot more stingy about players talking back about certain things that they'll, they won't go to reviews often official review. It's weird because sometimes like last, uh, not last night, a couple nights ago, game five, one of the refs threw a technical on Mark smart and the other refs didn't even know what happened. And I'm sitting there watching this and I'm, I'm stunned because this official review thing doesn't happen very often. It takes a long time for them to get together, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But that needs to be more prominent. Yes. No back, question. Yeah. Back to my, that utilize that to your point, you got to utilize the resources you have hundred percent and a step in that direction. Official reviews. Boom, boom, boom. Okay. Basketball's already a long sport. Who cares? Basketball is one of the best sports ever mm-hmm. in America. It always will be. I'm saying this as a hardcore baseball fan. Oh yeah, you got to use that to your advantage. You got to use the rev- and I I I think that the first step in the right direction is having that and adding another challenge. I don't th- I don't like I don't really like the rule where if you cha- if you uh, lose a challenge and then you don't have one. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like if you keep winning you keep it i don't like that it slows down the game a lot and i hate it but and in, in the nfl i will argue the same system they have in the nba for challenging should be penalties like that like that you should be able in the nfl to challenge one penalty mm-hmm. and that will stop a lot of uh i, I want to say bitching but it'll stop a lot of bitching about it. Fair enough. <laughs> I think I'm going to change my point from earlier. Sure. I think three per game is too much. Or three for the whole game, I think, is yeah. not right. This might sound odd, but just considering the amount of challenges that you know the players go through, here's what I'll suggest. Or, sorry, the amount of like fouls or missed calls, etc. I'll say... Give them two per half. Ooh, yeah. Because a lot happens because you can choose to use maybe one a quarter. Basketball, I think, is the most misofficiating calls or wrong calls that I've seen for any sport. And if you give them the option, let's say you give them each team gets two challenges or official reviews, uh, whatever we can call them or whichever one they'll be geared to. But the, maybe the coach can initiate or the player can initiate uh, two per half. And then if they don't use actually, no, because then they have like four, that might be too much. Sure. Let's just do two per half and then they can choose. Hey, uh, let's save both of these for the fourth quarter. If we need to, Uh, I think two per them is reasonable, but definitely speed it up. We don't need three minutes to decide a call. What about 90 seconds tops? What about this? You have two per half, two per half. Mm. But then if you keep both of them in the first half and get one in the second, you get one extra one. I like that. That is good. One Add one in the second. Yes. I mean, it's going to be a hot topic. I, I just looked up the NBA CBA expires, not this up, not after this season, but after, I think after the 2023, 2024 season. Oh, okay. So that could be a hot topic. And from baseball, I know how, I mean, how much heck 
and havoc the CBA can be. I don't know if it was just a baseball thing, but I know the owners and the players hated each other in the baseball one, and they waited till the last minute. I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you a real life um, reference. It's mm. basically the ML, this year's MLB CBA. It was you were assigned a project that was supposed to take a month and you started it the night before. That's why I think the NBA has to start with this stuff soon. They got to, cause that is such a huge topic in the NBA. In my opinion, in recent years, and I haven't been a basketball fan that much, but judging from your point of view, it's such a big um, point of controversy. And by wait, so by CB, you said NBA and CBA or MLB and CBA? Both, or I was I was referring both of them. All right, what do you what do you mean by CBA? Collective bargaining agreement. Okay, I don't know what that is. Oh, you don't <laughs> shoot. Explain to me. That's fine. Okay, now. okay, okay. No, it's, it's basically an agreement between the players' union and the owners. It's basically like the rules and stuff. Like it's like draft lottery. Uh, oh, oh, oh! Like, so, um, like, the NBPB, uh, uh, CBA, CBA, National Basketball NBPA. I think that's what the, the NBA has. Okay, so yeah. yeah, I'm sorry, my bad. Yeah, that, no, all good. I don't, I haven't paid much attention to that though. Even still, I I know like what the NBPA is. They have like certain uh, leaders and such. But if that ends up going to better rule changes. Sure. I mean, progressively over time, basketball as an organization with players stepping more into the picture and less of it being business, team owners, players having more of a voice in how things run. Because let's be honest, the athletes are what make the game. No, and nobody, nobody watches the game and be like, oh, like, OK, let's be honest. We love Celtics, right? But no Celtics players is watching these finals and being like, Man, I love Brad Steve. No, or you know, you know, oh, I love Phil Jackson. Well, maybe, no. maybe after getting Al Horford, but oh, okay, okay, maybe after getting Al Horford, but it's like, man, I, I love, I love Brad Stevens watching these. No, that's mainly not happening here. It, it's the players that make the impact on the game, and for that reason, should have the voice. It, it's what makes the game. It's, it's so important. We there's so many like stories about how NBA referees getting into trouble for betting on betting on games and they make money off them because they have direct impact or there's so many stories about and Jason I'm not sure if you know about this one but there's a story about the draft lottery in the NBA with the NBA rigging it so Patrick Ewing went to the Knicks or the finals of the Kings and the and the Lakers was it the Kings and the Lakers or the Kings and another team? Uh, I want to say it's the Kings and the Lakers in the early 2000s going in one way or another. At the end of the day, no matter what ends up happening, if there's uh, you know direct involvement from some other third-party source that influences the game at the end of the day, people still think that it exists with the refereeing and the officiating. But regardless of whether it's actually happening or not, I think that the players being part of how the game works has got to be the most crucial factor. Yeah, I'm the integrity, and I did. Yeah, the integrity is a huge part too. 
Yeah, it goes for any sport too. I know we were just talking about basketball, but like baseball, huge, huge, especially with um, tanking, a huge problem. And even after these last CBA battles, I still find it a huge problem. Mm. Like all these teams are trading away pieces when they don't need to. The Cincinnati Reds, they're trading because they don't want to deal with anything. And the Oakland Athletics, they have their own internal stuff with like the stadium. They have a huge vote coming up on whether they're going to stay in Golden State or Oakland. Mm. The integrity of any game is huge. Right. And you made a huge point. It's like, the, and I did hear about the uh, the rigging, the conspiracy of the draft lottery. Mm. But the point is, if you can't rely on the integrity of your game, then your sport's in trouble. Absolutely. That's, that's just how sports work. Absolutely, absolutely. And I hope that that whole star trading when you don't need to doesn't end up happening with Rafi Devers. That oh. can't happen with this Sox team. And I know and I know people were upset with Mookie Betts leaving. I remember, I remember when that happened in the trade. And I, I remember people were on the fence. Half of, half of it was, oh, why are we trading our best player? Half of it was, oh, he's got $50 million contract. I know. Like, I'm, I'm sitting back, I'm watching this whole thing unfold. And regardless, because I don't know the contract we have Devers on, but I don't think we, with the trajectory and the amount of players on the, on the, the Sox who can step up. I, last season, it was Kike, uh, in my opinion, who stepped up the most. And his batting average is all over the place, if you look at his career batting averages. But um, we have multiple players who can step up and fill these hero positions from time to time last season it was kike and renfro most notably from at least the games that i watched and this season it's it's frenchy it's um what do you call it um what am i missing not not really story but i know jd bogarts you can you can throw he's he's doing good i'm thinking i'm thinking of bobby dalbeck okay yeah he sucks yeah, I mean that's that's him and Franchi both play first base, right? Okay. I'm, not, I'm not I'm not as big as a Dahlback fan as I was six months ago. Okay, that's that's reasonable. He, I mean, he looks outmatched sometimes at the plate where mm-hmm. he does have moments where he can shine. He's he's improving a little bit now. It's just he looks outmatched a lot of the time too. Mm-hmm. But I know, I know I'm going a little off topic, but yeah, but That's back fine. to contract, like back to contracts. Um, yeah, I, 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 the Red Sox do have the money now. They're not in um, financial hell as they were, or salary cap hell, not salary cap, uh, luxury tax hell as they were last year, not last year, but years past the Dave Dombrowski era, I call it. And then we got rid of him because. He was a terrible general manager. He did not care about pitching. And then we got, and then we got Bloom, who doesn't. He cares a little bit more about pitching, but not really. But he he can what he can do opposed to Dombrowski is trade. Mm-hmm. We saw in the Betts trade, we got Verdugo, got two prospects. Okay, we traded Heath Hembry and Brandon Workman, who I think Hembry's on the Pirates, who has he's doing bad, and then. Workman's not in baseball. Trade him for Nick Pavetta and this other minor league pitcher who's doing really well. That's what I like, I think. And getting Trevor Story, too. 
Mm. I mean, we can spend a lot of money, but I think we can lock up Devers at the end of the season. It won't happen now, but I think we can. I think think, we can. I think we can too. And I think at any point, look, we we, we take a look at the Sox team and a couple of years back, um, post-championship, post-losing Jackie Bradley, the outfield, Bradley, uh, Mookie, Benatendi, losing those three and almost having a brand new team. And to that degree, we're we're right back into playoff contention just two, three years later. And to that point, it's amazing how we can effectively do that and going through a lot of changes in the front office as well. And we've done a we the story signing was fantastic. I'm so happy we did that. The way that we're able to keep players like JD and I think we can lock up Rafi Devers as well. Do that great. Bringing in guys like Verdugo, calling up guys like Jaron Durant when we need him, and having multi- all these players who can step up. If we, as the Sox, can solidify the pitching problems that we've been having, just even with two All Stars last season, yeah, at, at the mound. If we can solidify that, we're in we're in great shape. Not only that, though, let's there's there's some shortcomings. I'll be honest. I personally. And I don't care that he kind of was a dud in the playoffs, but I was not a fan of the Renfro Jackie Bradley trade no, that happened I this past summer. That did not need to happen. I thought Renfro was a stud. Uh, we bring back Jackie. Bra- so what? It's it, we, look. Some <laughs> players are great with chemistry, and, and they'll go to another team and they'll fall apart. Take a look I, at Jaco- yeah. take a look at Jacoby Ellsbury. He was great with the Red Sox. Went to the Yankees, signed this big fat contract. Awful. I mean, th- that was one of the Yankees' worst decisions. And I'm to be honest, I don't blame them, but it happens. And I'm not saying that Jackie Bradley's on the level that Jacoby Ellsbury was going to the Yankees um, so many years ago. But that trade didn't need to happen. Was it for chemistry reasons? I'm not sure. But with so many tr- movements in the front office and on the playing field, I don't think they needed to happen. Yeah, look. Jackie Bradley Jr. is a slightly better defender, but a much worse hitter. And I could not agree with you more. I hated that trade. That was clearly for the prospects. Mm -hmm. Because the Brewers were in need of offense. And why not give up like two top top 20 prospects for him? Mm -hmm. And I, I already said in this episode that the Red Sox are in a huge rebuild in the minor league system. But my God. That was a terrible trade. That that happened an hour before the lockout, too. Yeah. That was a funny trade, I will that, say. That was goofy. Yeah. <laughs> My God. There's so much wrong, so much stuff that was bad. But 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 then some signings like Matt Strom and Michael Walker. I don't know if you know those players, but two good players. I know Strom. Decent. I don't, yeah. They're decent. Walker's outperforming himself. Wow. Yeah, but one more one more point I kind of wanted to bring up in terms of basketball. I know I know I'm mm-hmm. shifting. The Celtics have not had a close game in this series in terms of the final score. Mm-hmm. The biggest point difference is ten. That's the biggest point difference. That's the big or the largest point difference. Okay, so that 
<laughs> that, funny enough, is weird. Like, you'd think, oh, well, it's the final. Shouldn't the games be cl- this close? If you've been watching the playoffs, you take a look at the Nets. We were annihilating the Nets, with the exception of the first game where Tatum hit the game winner. We were playing fantastic against the Nets. And when it was the Milwaukee and the Miami series, it was a blowout regardless of who won. Which, again, for two both great, excuse me, great teams, doesn't make much sense. For now, it's always been close games for um, the Celtics and the Warriors. And that's meant to happen in these finals. But, like, it's just bizarre. Yes, I, I agree. And I will say this year's Stanley Cup playoffs are very a little disappointing, other than round one, but mm-hmm. kind of disappointing. I think the series should be should have, should have been very much closer to the Calgary and Edmonton. That was a kind of disappointment. And then the Florida one, kind of a disappointment. And, you know, back to basketball. I think the Celtics are going to have to play. It's going to be a lot like game seven of the Miami series. Yes. I think if you're going to win these next two games, it's going to be exactly like that mentality. You're going to you're going to need to get in the lead early on and pray to God you don't collapse. They were oh so close to collapsing in that Miami series. Game 7. Jimmy Butler had that 3. He had that. A lot of people don't remember that. He had that. If he makes it in, I think we're looking at Miami versus Golden State. Yeah. In my opinion. But and look, a lot of people and some of you might not remember what Jason's talking about right now. Um, I remember watching that. And as a diehard Celtics fan, somebody watching that, you see Jimmy Butler grab the rebound, run up the court, stop at the three point line, and we're up two with just seconds left in the game. And he goes for the kill shot, and he misses. Every Celtics fan's heart sunk in that moment. And look, I mean, you're down two. If, if you're me, that, that's not the move to make. Force it. Go, go to overtime. Jimmy you're Butler home. had 45 points. Dude, you can go to overtime. He'd probably drop 60. I mean, hey, look, I mean, people are like, oh, he has a right to play hero ball. I get it. But you can't get lost in the sauce. I'll put it that way. And that was tough, tough. That was a tough game. And I completely agree with you, Jason. Game six and game seven of this Celtics series need to be played precisely like that game seven for Boston. They played exceptionally well. Except for the fourth quarter. Except for the fourth quarter and, like, allowing Jimmy Butler to score, like, 45 points. But with the rest of the team and uh, maybe Max Strews because he just was automatic – they were able to get at that win and defensively everywhere else played good, but they could not stop Jimmy. Mm -hmm. They could not stop Jimmy. I mean, I'm with you. I gulped when I saw Jimmy Butler go up or go to the three. I mean, yeah, that you're right. You don't, he went from hero. He went from hero to go and not the good type of goat. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes. Right. Good. He went from, he he was literally going to, save you and he just missed it but in in my opinion in a game seven if you're having any sort of trouble you have to change what you're doing now 
no matter what. Because maybe you wait a little bit. And this goes for baseball too. Like if a pitcher gets in a it gets in any big jam in a game seven, you have to take him out. That's just the game seven. That's the game Absolutely. seven mentality. Um, football. If if you're if this receiver isn't doing that well, you out throw to your other guys. He's clearly not working. You can't keep risking it with him. Um, hockey. Um, game seven. I don't really know. That's <laughs> yeah, in my opinion. In my opinion, that's just what the, the home team has a huge advantage in game seven. Espe- it, basketball too. The the Celtics were the better seeding overall. They're the two seed. The Warriors are the three. But why why does the NBA have to do us dirty like that? The Warriors just had more wins. That's yeah. That, that's why they got home court advantage, which I agree is a little weird, but makes see, sense too. Personally, I think that the playoffs should be conference less. I think that they should take the 16 best teams in total. The all-star game is no longer West and East. Take the 16 best teams and seed them accordingly by record, not by the top eight in each conference. The only problem with that though, is you have longer wait times between games because the players are going to be jet lagged because more often than not now, you are going to be flying between time zones. Let's say the Celtics are playing the Suns in like the first round. They're going to be flying back and forth between games. They're going to be going, let's say Boston, the first two Phoenix, the next two, and then back and forth, which is going to be a lot uh, in comparison to, let's say it's the Celtics versus Brooklyn, like the first round, right? No change in time zone, Boston and New York are in the same time zone. That's going to be no, no effect, but I could counter that argument by explaining how you have teams like, uh, let me make sure I get this right. Mm. Oh, who am I thinking of? I usually, I got an NBA poster behind me. It's not even there, but you have teams, <laughs> you, you have teams like their Western conference, right? Okay. Uh, the Oklahoma city, Th- uh, no, the Grizzlies, they're in the central time zone and they're playing golden state back and forth. I mean, they're both in the West, but they're in two, two hour different time zones. And what's the difference if it's one hour? I mean, I am sure that the NBA doesn't need to rush, like having so many games on at once. I'm like, hey, look, if it's the first round, you got two games on a night, two games the next night, and you need to spread it out a little bit. Sure. I don't mind. I don't mind waiting. There's plenty of, there's plenty of basketball content, plenty of other sports going on as well. I mean, you're going to keep me interested. Hey, Sure. But we've seen the all-star move away from conferences. I think the playoffs need to move away from conferences too. And that makes it more exciting. You More exposure to more teams. And again, I'm talking so much that I forgot the initial point that I was hitting off of. Um, but yeah. It was, the West, it was like you said, you don't care about conference, just seed them. Yeah, but I forgot why I was making that point. <laughs> the time zones? The time zones, um, jet lag, jet lag. Why? I don't. Yeah. It, it, the conferences shouldn't matter because of the all-stars. Oh, because the Celtics were the two seed and the Warriors were the three seed. Oh yeah. But regardless of that, look, if the conferences or the playoffs were seedless, 
the Warriors would have still gotten home court advantage. I mean, I don't think that's the biggest reason to flip it into conferenceless playoffs, but I think the playoffs should be conferenceless. I, like I said, I already seen it open up with the All-Stars, and I see no valid reason because conferences already have conflicting mm-hmm. time zones. Why not just make the whole thing and open it up? Because yeah. in the regular season, we play Eastern teams all the time. I think we played the Suns like three times in an 82-game season. And how are we going to know how to play teams in the finals if we're not playing them in the regular season? Yeah, I agree with you on that, or mostly. But I'm not so sure about the um, NBA, the no conference thing. I don't know how I feel about that, but... (sighs) It's a thinker too. It's like it's like the NBA. It's not the NBA. The NFL draw draft lottery thing. Mm. But it's very similar to that. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. On before we wrap up, what's your score prediction for if we win? Game seven. Game six and seven. Or not? How about this? Do two scenarios. One, if the Celtics win game six give that score two okay and then your overall prediction for what you think it will happen okay so my overall prediction for what's going to happen is the following celtics are winning game six at home there's no way we lose three no no not happening we're gonna win game six at home we're gonna shut down game six clay no no, not, no, 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 not happening. We, can, we can't let that happen. I got to say, the Celtics are going to win game six, and it's going to be a consistent performance from the Celtics. I don't think they're going to be stupid. I don't think there's going to be any big lead changes. I think it's going to be a consistent, eh, kind of close game, and I'm saying Celtics take game six 110 to 95. Wow. We go into game seven, and I want to say this is my take. I genuinely don't know if we go to seven, who wins it? Because we have Golden State at home, but the Celtics in the past two series have come back down three to two and have won it. They blew out my um, Milwaukee in game seven, but they won by just four points in game seven against Miami. So let's say this. The winner will be decided by a game seven buzzer beater. Oh my gosh. But it's just going to be a matter of who gets it. Wow. Because Jordan Poole can throw a highlight from full court. But at the same time, I will have my TV will be gone if that happens. (laughs) Either Jordan Poole is going to close it out from full court and they're going to throw him in at the end of the game, or Jalen Brown is going to crack somebody's ankles and or pull like a Damian Lillard and shoot it from 50 feet out and cash it that or Pritchard one of them would win it for the Celtics on a buzzer beat and it's going to be one of those teams and I can't wait to see what happens but I'm I'm terrified at the same time yeah but we got to get through game um six first I think we'll I think that'll be a convent a commanding victory game seven if I had to if I had to put money on a player who would hit a game-winning shot. You ready? If you say Iguodala, I'm leaving the call. Oh, uh, sorry. <laughs> no. 
Al Horford. Oh my God. If Al Horford hits the game winner, I'm buying his jersey immediately. Like, forget buying one jersey. I'm buying all the jerseys. It's like five grand. You're like buying the entire stock. He won the freaking NBA finals. Yeah. I would totally do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'd get a Horford jersey. If Horford cashes the game seven and he's more than Especially capable of doing this. It. Especially after what we're doing right now. But oh, yeah. That's. That's my prediction. If someone were to hit a winning shot. Absolutely. Screw I like pool. that take. Screw pool. One, two, Chris. <laughs> um, in terms of my prediction, my bias prediction, Celtics win 100, 115 to 45. No. <laughs> no. 115 the 110. Okay. Non, non, that's bias. Okay. Non-bias. It's going to be within three points. I think <sighs> within a basket, in my okay. opinion. I think Celtics take it 118-117. I like that. I like that take. I think... Draymond Green is going to miss the easiest free throw of his easiest layup of his career and lose for this for the Warriors. I can totally see that. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? That'd be tra- that'd literally be tragic. But uh, it's probably going to happen. Draymond Green shoots like he's got a backpack and he's like the kid walking from lunch over to the gym like in the middle of class. Yo, give me a shot. And like if you ever see his jump shots, it's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous. Adding on to that, Curry and Thompson drop a combined 70 points. Curry goes 45, and Clay goes 25. That was I think, solid. I like that. But then on the other side, Tatum and Brown go combined 80. Ooh. Oh, my gosh. I think they find something. I think that's definitely possible, too. I already love that prediction already. You're getting me hyped, man. I'm 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 so hyped, but I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm so scared of game six. But if that, but do you know what the? Oh, I have to draw. I I'm gonna be at a hotel in game seven too. Oh, in like North Carolina or something. Amen. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and if, if there's a game winning shot, I'm waking everyone up. I am. Where I am waking, I don't care. I don't care if we get kicked out. I am waking everyone up. I'm screaming. Would you do you would do the same thing too? I don't no question do the same thing. I don't care if I'm in North Carolina. I don't think uh, all the, do they Hornet, have Hornets fans are probably rooting for us. Yeah, I was gonna say weren't they're probably yeah, they're probably I mean, let's see. But that's we gotta get there first. But gotta get there first. That's what that's my mentality. You Absolutely. Get Absolutely. It's four o'clock. We started this. When it's been two hours. Almost. Oh my god. That's insane. What an episode. Wow. My shortest episode is like 17 minutes long. <laughs> is this the longest one? This is clear by far. I don't care. This is great. No, I mean I, I love it. Yours are pretty long too. Oh yeah. They're like <sighs> I, I just feel I, I just finished editing my longest one. Um, 
but I, I had to make some cuts, but it was an hour 40. And that's like, that's video too, which is, which is absolutely nutty. Um, but I found like a huge editing shortcut, which just saved me so much time. And I did the whole editing in like six hours. Is it like spark notes for editing? Uh, eh, it's, it's like a little tool where you can like sync. I didn't know you could do this, but you could like sync like microphone recorded audio to like to a camera shot and the software will match it up. And it saved me so much time. So I don't have to, I don't have to do a double take while editing. Wow. Like, I just did it in, in like one in one take. Wow. Still a lot, but really good. But that's my NBA record, my NBA finals prediction. So. All right. But if Horford, if Horford gets the winning shot, buzzer beater. Mm. That, that would be, if the, if the Celtics take game six by commanding victory. How finishing would be would it be if it and if the series ended on the buzzer beater? That has the potential, literally, because I don't think we, we've seen that in a very long ever or in a very long time. Because I mean, at least in a game seven, we've seen game sixes come down to like, for example, Jordan. I think it was 98 versus the Jazz. Step back crossover. Up high jump shot, bang, hits it, and you get the signature jumping in the air, fist bump celebration. And there's these other clips too, where there are these game defining moments uh, we've seen in recent years. You got Giannis blocking DeAndre Ayton, where he gets his hand literally at the top of the backboard. You got um, LeBron stuffing Iguodala off the backboard. And you got Kyrie hitting that signature three on Steph Curry. But none of those were buzzer beaters. Have, have we seen a game seven NBA final come down to one of those yet? That, that would be, and from Al Horford too, that'd be, that'd be insane. I would probably get like an Al Horford poster too in my room. Like no question. And that, that'd be amazing. I want to say it's going to come down to a buzzer beater. These next two games are going to be immaculate. Oh yeah. Oh yes. Uh, I was going to say something. Um, Whenever the Warriors win the finals, someone comes out with an album. What's his name? Drake? It might be Drake. Whenever the Warriors win the finals, somebody, I got to find this. I'm, I'm going to look I, it up. I saw that somewhere. I think, I, I think it might have been Drake, but that was funny. Oh, boy. Oh, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar. That's it. Why did I think it was Drake? Yeah, Kendrick uh, Lamar. Whenever, yeah, whenever, whenever he comes with a, with an album, it's 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 like it, not not not. I was gonna make a reference like whoever eliminates the Leafs in this uh, Stanley Cup playoffs goes on to lose the Stanley Cup. Gotcha. Okay. Uh oh, I saw this. Okay, okay. So when "To Pimp a Butterfly" came out, 2015, Warriors won first championship, and there was "Damn" 2017, they won. When Kendrick dropped the Black Panther album, they won. And then this year, 2022, was Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. And Damn it, Kendrick Lamar. Come on. They could win. But at the same time, there's more Kendrick albums on here that aren't being named, like Good Kid, Mad City, and Section 80. Um, I'm not a big Kendrick fan, but like I know I, there's more. Uh, there's also the possibility that um, the last time Top Gun came out, which was like the original Top Gun in 86, bird and the celtics won the championship and now we have 
the new Top Gun this year. So it's it's a matter of who's gonna break that like a little thing streak. There's like a, some word for that. Correlation. The curse. The curse? Cor- correlation. The correlation. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Hey man. Yep. Praying. 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 That's all you can do. That's all you can do. I, I, I'm getting butterflies for game six. Man, it's uh, going to, it's going to be insane. I want to, Oh, eight, I want 18. So bad. me too, man. It's going to be a long day. Me and me and the guys are going to be hooping. And then after that, we're either watching it at my house because every time we've won, we watch the game at my house. Watch so it at your house. I <laughs> you have to, what you have to, I think I don't, uh, yeah, we have to, I'm pretty sure it's going to be at my house. So we have to do it. Uh, and, uh, what do you call it? So we watch the game at my house after hooping and it's just, it's going to, it's going to be absolutely nuts. It's going to be absolutely nuts. I want, I, I want tickets. I want tickets. They're so expensive. Though. Dude, it's like a ridiculous amount of money. Ridiculous. A, a base a base price is like $2,500. Literally. It's insane. It's insane. You know how many you, you know how many um cards I can buy with that? Probably <laughs> so many. Probably, man. Probably, Probably enough to fill up TD Garden. Yeah, literally. Stack it all the way to the top. <sighs> wow. Okay, man. Hey, it's been a pleasure. You gotta come back on. Absolutely, dude. It's been a huge pleasure. Thank you for having, dude. It's been like literally two hours. I can't believe it. Thank yeah, you for us. Thank you for having me. Make sure you follow the podcast if you're not already. The Ball Blab. Both of them. Both of them. Oh, and Ball Blab and Fire Split, of course. Make sure to check it out on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. Uh, and stay tuned. Got an episode coming out this Saturday on my end as well. So, uh. Follow the socials and, of course, make sure you're following Jason. If you haven't already, I'm going to make sure I get my, my followers over to you. Go Celtics. Celtics in seven. Celtics in seven. All day. All day, every day. Yeah. Okay, man. Peace. Peace, dude.